0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host Paisley Haddad. So thank you so much to everyone who's been listening along so far in season two. And if you've been here since season one, thank you as well. I'm so grateful for all your support and it's just been so great to hear all of your feedback about each episode and I'm just so grateful to be able to have this platform to share the stories of these remarkable women in communications and their advice, because I feel like I, as the host, am learning so much in every single episode speaking with these women. And I hope that you all are too. And if you're a new listener here, thank you so much for listening, and welcome to the Queen of Com Podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here. Um, but if you haven't already, follow us on on Instagram at Queen of Com Podcast and on Twitter at Queen of Com Pod. There I post all of my upcoming episode announcements, as well as clips from new episodes on Wednesdays and our listener question of the week on stories, as well as other fun posts. And I have a lot of big announcements coming soon, so be sure to stay tuned on there. And if you didn't catch this on our social media or in a few past episodes, we do have a feature with voicemails where you can send the Queen of Com podcast a voicemail about anything from, you know, career advice to recent grad life to college life to any questions you have for past or future guests uh, or any upcoming topics that you'd love to hear on the show i'd love to hear your feedback so be sure to head to the link in our instagram bio and click send us a voice memo or you can head to anchor.fm slash queen of podcast slash message So, speaking of your favorite podcast platforms and, you know, giving your feedback, I'd love if you all would be willing to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really means a lot to me and to the show because it really keeps us going and can bring us to the next level. So, if you have a minute and you're really enjoying the podcast, be sure to head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a five-star review. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. But getting into today's industry insights... Um, I want to talk about some entertainment publicity campaigns that have really caught my eye because they really fit into that theme of, you know, really being true to your message and really caring about what your viewers or your publics really want to know. So starting with Abbott Elementary's latest marketing campaign, I just love this show. I think it is so funny and I think that their creator... Uh, Quinta Brunson has done such a great job of really capturing the true essence of teachers and really doing her research and making sure that the show is as authentic as possible. And she's really shown this through her efforts, not only as the actress and writer of the show, but also, you know, behind the scenes. So if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, Quinta recently went to ABC's marketing and PR department and she let them know that she wanted to make sure that the show was comprehensive and that it really spoke to the The audience in every single aspect of its creation. So they partnered with Scholastic Books to provide a bus that goes around to different underprivileged schools, similar to the one that they're portraying on TV, to share resources for these teachers, whether it's books or school supplies that they really need in their classroom, and to create a mobile teacher's lounge where teachers can, you know, come and stay for a few minutes and enjoy themselves and really take a break from their day. So I just think that was a great marketing and PR campaign. To really speak to the audience that is watching this show and to show that, you know, they're they're not just in it for the entertainment value, they're in it to really, you know, have an impact on their viewers. And so I think that just goes into everything we've been saying throughout this whole season about being targeted and intentional because we really do have that privilege as communications professionals to be using what we're working with and really have that comprehensive, you know, campaign going on. So hats off to the Abbott Elementary slash ABC marketing and publicity team. Great job on that. Um, and I also wanted to talk about with last Sunday being the Oscars, um, TikTok's great PR move that I thought with having Emily Uribe, which is an a famous TikTok creator who has made a name for herself by originally pretending that she is in one of those YouTube interviews that we've all watched a million times um, where celebrities are doing like those autocorrect interviews and she used to do it in her kitchen. But now she's really built a brand for herself as a thought leader in the cinema and entertainment industry. And because of this, TikTok, you know, was really in tune with what people were listening to and watching, and so they invited Emily to be one of the red carpet correspondents at the Oscars. And so I just think, as well as another TikTok creator, which is um, who was also talking about cinema, but he's done it in a few different arenas. But I think having Emily, um, you know, at the Oscars this year was so special because you know it really shows that TikTok is really interacting with their users and seeing what they want to see. And I think it's more impactful to have. You know her sharing her experiences with an outlet such as TikTok because they are all about their creators, and I think this is, this just plays back into their overall brand of really listening to what their user base wants, and shows that you can be creative and really put yourself out there with what you're passionate about, and it could pay off for you. So I think that was such a great PR move for them. Um, but speaking of the Oscars red carpet, I'm so excited for you all to hear from my guest today. She has covered some of the biggest events like the Oscars. She was there this past Sunday. And she was on my list of dream podcast guests for the show. So I am so excited that I was able to interview her today. And I just want to thank her so much for the work she's doing to advocate for the dance community because it is so near and dear to my heart. So I'm so excited for you to hear from this guest. So be sure to stay tuned for the interview and hear all of her amazing insights. My next guest is an award-winning host, reporter, and producer who has covered various topics in the world of entertainment. From the the behind-the-scenes of the Oscars, Primetime Emmys, Golden Globes, Daytime Emmys, and the Tonys, to Commercial Dance, through her work with the Dance Network, To the Point with Kristen Burt, and the official World of Dance After Show, to then having her work featured in leading publications and more. Please welcome Kristen Burt to the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you on. I've followed your work for a while. And as a dancer and a big dance fan, I'm so honored to have you on the show. So why don't we get started with how you first got interested in journalism and communications? Honestly,
1: I am that weird story that I kind of went in through a different door that that I think that most journalism students go through. You know, most people are going to college for it, studying it, um, you know, graduating from college with a real and ready to go for me. I was at NYU. I was at Tisch School of the Arts, but I was a dance major. And uh, I started off performing in New York City, doing professionally dancing in national tours and with dance companies. And I was one of those people who kind of graduated from college thinking, this is what I'm supposed to do. I got all the way to this point. I have the degree. Now I'm supposed to go out and have a professional career. But I had worked steadily through my high school and college years, and I didn't Feel like it was the right move but you've been on this path and you sit there and you think that's what I'm supposed to do and I realized I wasn't enjoying auditioning and that is such a huge part of the process when you're a dancer and it can take all day you know you they make cuts they they make you you know sing and then you dance and then maybe you have to act and I just was thinking like I don't know what else I want to do I don't want to choreograph I don't want to open a studio I don't want to teach that much. Um, And I randomly got hired to host a children's dance video on how to electric slide and hokey pokey and do the Macarena. And it kind of opened up a whole world to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can do this, still perform in some capacity, but not have to dance because I was feeling really burnt out. And I was of that generation where burnout, mental health
0: really wasn't talked about that much. Well, that, I love how you mentioned that you have a unique journey because I always love hearing people's journeys about how they get into the industry because I feel like it, it happens so differently for everyone. And so that's so interesting that you say that you were in that video. So you touched on college a bit. So can you talk about your college experience and how that led you to kind of refining your career interests and how that led you to go on to your career journey?
1: Yeah. um, Because NYU to School of the Arts is a conservatory program, you're spending most of your days in the dance studio, nights in rehearsal. You do have academics, of course. We had dance history. We had anatomy. We had our regular core courses you also needed at NYU. We were one of the few... departments that actually went to school on Fridays. NYU went to school Monday through Thursday. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, that the Tisch School of the Arts Dance Program is three years, two summers. So you actually get out a year earlier than you normally would. So they want you to get out there and and get moving. And it's funny because when I was at NYU, I studied dance history with a woman named Deborah Jowett, one of the most renowned dance critics, used to write for the Village Voice, And I loved the class, I loved learning, and it's so funny how much I love that class and what I took from it, but it probably took about another five to eight years for me to really realize what an impact it had on me. I had always been someone who loved to write. I was someone who was comfortable in front of the camera, Um, but being able to take my love for dance and not necessarily performing, um, but doing it on the reporting side was such a, a huge thing. And because that dance video that I did on how to pokey an electric slide did so well I started getting training um, from a coach in New York Robert Conroy who did a great job of really just honing my skills I was raw and green and not very good Uh, (laughs) but he saw something in me and said you know there's something to there's
0: something I can work with here so it was great And I love how you mentioned the aspect too of having that class that you really enjoyed because for listeners, my podcast is all about college students and recent graduates. So, you know, now this is the time for, you know, these students to be really finding those classes where they can get their interests. And that's what I love about, you know, communications and journalism as a whole is that, you know, you can have those interests outside of, you know, the work you do and then connect it to your work. I mean, so many times like entertainment as an example, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're not actresses, but, you know, we can, you know, talk to actors like you do and do interviews and all of that. So I think that's so awesome. Um, so I want to talk about your career now because you have had such great credits throughout your career, everything you've done. And I love all your work with dance, but you've done so much more. So can you talk about your career journey from then having that moment of like, wow, I think I want to go into journalism and communications to now what you are doing in the present day?
1: Yeah, I was living in New York City and it was at a time where New York had a very specific look in how they hired their broadcasters and the West Coast had a very specific look. And my coach said, I think you're going to work more if you move to Los Angeles. And I'm someone who hadn't, you know, driven a car in about nine years at that point, because i had been in college and everything else. And you're telling me that you're sending me to a city where I absolutely positively must be in a car every single day of my life in traffic. So uh, that was daunting. (laughs) But a lot of my friends had started to make the move. So it was a little less scary. And I, I, I took his advice. And that was hard advice because I, I grew up on the East Coast. I'm from Boston originally, had lived in New York City. And, and New York City was my dream. So now you're asking me to make another city my dream. And ugh, um, that was hard. And When I got to Los Angeles, I pretty much hit the ground running and started working right away. Now, it wasn't like, bam, I'm at the Oscars situation. It was kind of a a slower progression where I was doing a lot of, like, industrials, where you're the host, and infomercials, where you're the host. But, you know, it's a one-off job. It's not something that you're consistently doing every single day. But I tried my best to practice what i was doing every single day so if i had to take a job and so instead of maybe waiting tables i would take a job at a trade show where i was the narrator talking about a product and that way i was constantly public speaking i was in front of a live audience it was a practice of my skills and it was also good money it was corporate money so that helped out a lot got me to travel a little bit and about two years being into los angeles i got hired to become a home shopping host (laughs) <laughs> and I had to move to Minnesota.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> yes. And all of a sudden, I, just as I had gotten used to sunshine and 75 degree weather, you plop me into minus 10 degrees, working in the middle of the night, selling cuckoo clocks um, for NBC. It was Shop NBC at the time. I think it's now called Evine Live. NBC sold it off. But it was the best training ground I ever had because they would literally give me like a card like and there'd be a couple of things on it and they'd be like these glasses you've got to sell them for 20 minutes at 3 a.m Wow! (laughs) And then (laughs) for some reason they would sell well and they'd be go oh we're not going to go on to the next thing you're going to sell these for another 20 minutes and you'd have to like start all over again create a story create a conversation and all of that improv on live tv has helped me because by the time I made it back to Los Angeles to really work in entertainment, live streaming became a thing and YouTube was a thing. And I just kind of hit that in the sweet spot with the right skills. So even though I was miserable in Minnesota, (laughs) I always look back and go, thank goodness I spent those two and a half years there.
0: You never know what's going to happen in your life and your career. Things happen for a reason all the time. And so that's such another great lesson for listeners of, you know, take those experiences where you can get, you know, experience any way you can. So that that was a great story you told too. And I've always wondered what happens behind the scenes on those home shopping networks. So that was some great insight you shared too on that. I I will say that home shopping
1: hosts have the hardest job out there. There's probably only a hundred maybe across the world. It's such a small select group. And I've gone on to do guest hostings on QVC and HSN. In fact, right now I represent a product on QVC, Caveman Foods. And uh, it's great to be able to call that recall all of that information and do it again. I, I only do like an eight minute hit once a week instead of you know three hours at a time, but I have so much respect for the host and what they can do. And it's one of those things, especially for people that are going up, taking the news route. I know you're gonna have to work those smaller markets and maybe work in, in a tiny place. Um, and it's not a lot of money, but the skills that you are getting there, like learn everything you can do everything you can possibly learn so that you can, when you jump to that bigger market, you have a lot to offer people.
0: Yeah. W- w- wow. I couldn't imagine being live like that all the time and having to improv. So that, that's, that, that was definitely a great experience that you had now, you know, look what you're doing now. And so speaking more on that, on your red carpet experience, I'm sure that is a very, um, you know, kind of on the fly experience too. Things could happen, things could change. So can you talk about those experiences recording on the, uh, reporting on the red carpet. And can you give us a little behind the scenes of what happens on the red carpet?
1: Sure, well, with Oscar's coming up in a few weeks. I think it's kind of a good time to talk about that. Because the Oscars are so interesting in that it is considered Hollywood's most glamorous night. It's probably the toughest night for broadcasters. Your day starts so early all of the great hair and makeup that you get to wear, which is a total treat. Don't get me wrong. That starts at about 6am because you need to be on the red carpet at about 10am to do all of your hits, like those quick little intros and outro. Maybe you want to go um, along the bleachers where all the fans are sitting and get them screaming and yelling. That is the time to do it. You can't do it once the celebrities are all on that red carpet. You're also not dropped off at the red carpet. You drive your car <laughs> to a parking lot about two miles away. And then you're wearing like shoes, not your fancy shoes, but like boots or something to keep your feet warm. Cause it's usually the cold period in LA. You hop on a bus, they drop you off a few blocks from the red carpet and you have your dress like wrapped around <laughs> your arm. While you're carrying your bag because you need your laptop and you need all your information and you're walking to the red carpet, you have to do all the security and then you get on the red carpet, you put on your pretty shoes, you take all the photos right away and then you get right back into those Ugg boots and get as warm as possible because it's very cold and it's often raining. Um, and and the other thing, you are dehydrated. <laughs> there, There's once you get locked into your spot at about 2.30, security comes through, dogs come through it's your last you have to be in position there's no going to the bathroom until at least five thirty six p.m so you're not drinking anything you might take a little like sip of water you're not swallowing it you're just like spitting it out because
0: you can't go to the bathroom
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but that's when the excitement begins and everyone comes um en masse and You know, sometimes celebrities have their favorite reporters and they'll only go to them or their favorite outlet and they'll only go to them. And you have to yell and you have to think of something that would catch their attention. Sandra Bullock, her name is Sandy. We know her as Sandra, but all of her friends call her Sandy. So if you call her Sandy, she'll come over. (laughs) Um, If you're next to oftentimes Armed Services has their media outlets, if you're right next to them, you'll luck out because Who's not going to talk to our armed services? You're going to want to talk to the military and say, thank you for your service and you know hello from the red carpet. So if you're next to them, you usually can grab a couple of the A-listers over. <laughs> so there's a kind of a few key spots that you want to be near, um, but you just have to make sure that you know all the A-listers, but also knowing some of those presenters or some of those smaller categories, you might wind up with a really good interview, especially if they win.
0: Wow, Well, I'm so fascinated by all that. I mean, I feel like so many people watch it on TV, like those pre-shows and like E! and everything. And they think it's so glamorous all the time and seeing the celebrities come through and they see the glam bot on social media. But I think it's so fascinating seeing that behind the scenes factor. And actually, the way that I got into public relations is... When I was a junior in high school, I won a contest to fly to Los Angeles and go to the finale of So You Think and Dance from Dance Spirit Magazine, and I saw that press line happening, and that just inspired me so much of that, you know, relationship with the journalists and the publicists and everything going on, and so since then, you know, I've been so into PR, I work at a PR agency now, so I definitely am so fascinated by that factor, so thank you for sharing that behind the scenes and, you know, the tidbits that you would want to know if you're working on a red carpet.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of hard work. I call it the Oscar hangover. You've had no time <laughs> to have a drink or anything else like that. But usually like the next couple of days, you're exhausted. Because oftentimes you go backstage too and you're working the press room too. So it's you're doing double duty and then you have press hits that night and maybe that early the next morning. And you just haven't eaten enough. You haven't had enough water. And so I'm always like, you get a, like a big burger or like a huge pizza <laughs> the next day. And you're just like, you know, and you're thinking, oh, I just want a Coca-Cola. <laughs> or you're not even thinking about like a glass of champagne or anything fancy, but um, it really anyone who has the opportunity to ever work the Oscars in any capacity, honestly, whether it's backstage on the red carpet, um, in the events leading up, it's such a special time in Los Angeles. And it's such a unique experience. I always say, do it, do it, do it, do it.
0: Yeah, you definitely need a reward after a long day like that. <laughs>
1: You you do I, a cookie, whatever your like comfort food is, grilled cheese and fries. You really do need it because it, it's. I don't. People just think like, oh, you're going to the parties after. I'm like, if I'm going to a party, I'm covering it. I'm not going <laughs> to the party. That's for the nominees and the presenters. They get you know that's their special night. I I'm on the working side of it.
0: <laughs> yes, not hanging out with Sandy.
1: <laughs> not hanging out with my friend Sandy. No. But again, such a highlight in my career to be able to do it. And the first year I did it was 2011. And I almost like sobbed my eyelashes off just because it's so special. You spend your whole life growing up seeing it and you think I'm from small town, Massachusetts. What the heck am I doing here?
0: (laughs) Yes, definitely special memories. And I'm sure you'll remember that forever. Those experiences that you, you've seen and be, being able to tell people like, wow, I've been to the Oscars and Emmys and all this and, co- and uh, covered them. So special.
1: Absolutely. Things you never think you'd do in your lifetime.
0: Yes. And that goes back to what we we're saying too. And everything happens for a reason. You never know what you're going to be doing in your career. And also, so speaking of So You Think and Dance, while I have you on the show, I have to ask what your favorite So You Think Dance routine is of all time. And you can't say more than one because I definitely have more than one.
1: You know, I, I was thinking about this because uh, it's, it's, it's such a tough question, but for me, the group routines are always the ones that stand out in my mind. There are, I can name off so many different duets and from over the years, but the ones that I love the most and I go back to and watch over and over again. And there's two that stand out. The first one is season 10 and it was the top 20 opening and it wound up winning an Emmy for choreography done by Nappy Tabs. And it was done in one shot. Meaning they took the camera and they moved it through the whole time. They never cut the camera and they never shut it down or anything else like that. And they went through the entire backstage um, and through like the elephant doors and through the dressing rooms till they got to the the actual stage of So You Think You Can Dance for the Top 20 Dance. Um, I love that one. I think it is absolutely genius. And the other one, and this was the top 100 in season 14 that Mandy Moore choreographed and also won an Emmy for, um, it was done on the campus of um, UC, University of California Northridge. And I was able to be there that day when they were filming. So seeing those top 20 contenders, they were at the Academy, I think is what they call it. They didn't call it Hollywood <laughs> at that point or Vegas week, but um, it was so cool to just see it um, coming together and how that all worked and mandy moore and her genius nobody does group numbers better than mandy moore like big huge ones and she had the tap dancers over here and the ballet dancers were up here and people were like running through the fountain and then they all came together to to do a piece it is such a great memory of that day
0: Oh yeah, Mandy Moore is phenomenal. And I loved watching Zoe's extraordinary playlist too to see all of her dances and everything that she worked on. I feel like that Christmas special that they have was like the big bow one to end everything perfectly. And she, she, her with her choreography and the singing and the acting, I think that's so perfect. and I love both of those dances that you mentioned. And those cameramen, when I was able to see the, the show when I won that contest, that was the most fascinating part for me is to see how those cameramen had to know the choreography themselves and which way to go and you know follow them. I thought that was just such an interesting part of it.
1: You know, the Steadicam is often on the stage with the dancers. A lot of people don't realize. So if your dancers, your duets going here, they're oftentimes circling around them. And there is a cord. It's not a cordless camera by any means. So the Steadicam has a, a second... A person behind them, and they're moving the court around, they're guiding the camera so he doesn't fall off the stage. It's unbelievable to watch, it's its own choreography in and of
0: itself. Yes, definitely. And my favorite dances this is my favorite one of all time just because it has such great memories. But, um, it's the Ramalama group dance because Wade Robson, yes, I love his choreography so much. And when I was little, that's all I wanted to go. For Halloween, as was a, Ray, a Wade Robson dancer. And so I would have the makeup on and recreate the Ramalama dance. So that's one of my all time favorites, but also a classic, which is Travis and Heidi's The Bench Dance. Mm-hmm. So iconic. Michaels. So- So iconic choreography, another great choreographer. And I just find it so fascinating too, from that, you know, PR side of dance of how that show was so revolutionary because it made brands for these dancers. And so did Dancing with the Stars and World of Dance. But I think So You Think Your Dance was the first show to really do that and really make this brand for dance and see it out there in the you know, the world of media out there and t- seeing them do all these different things. So I'm just so grateful to the show for that aspect as well of, you know, having yeah, I mean, for the, dance. I mean,
1: the choreographer's famous. I think that that's, that's the unique aspect of it. And I'm so glad it'll be back this summer. Yes. Um, I've missed it tremendously. In fact, uh, the auditions I think are starting next week uh, in New Orleans and they're going to New York. And I'll look forward to covering that in Los Angeles because it's my favorite show to cover. And I, you know, I know a lot of people watch, have watched the other dance shows, but the atmosphere behind the scenes at So You Think You Can Dance is just as special as what you see on camera. I can't say that about the other shows as much. Uh, so You Think treats everyone like family, including the press. And it's why I love being able to cover the show
0: and I'm devastated about Nigel. I can't believe he's not coming back as a judge. I can't who's going to say cue music. I don't, I don't know who's, it, who's it going to be, but I'm curious to see. They've hired
1: some judges. I can't say who, Ooh. but um, I will say that I think that they're looking to go a little younger with the show. Um, you know, it's, it's no one can step into Nigel's shoes, but I think that there will be some familiar faces that people like, and we will, I'm interested to see how people react let's put it that way
0: <laughs> well I can't wait to see it this summer and speaking on that connection too that you were talking about behind the scenes so you know you've talked to all of these dancers since so I think dance and world of dance and dancing with the stars on your show that you did um you know to the point with Kristen and Burt and so what has that journey been like for you to get to know them and see them at all of these shows and events and see them go through their dance journey but also their personal journey like you know watching Max in Ukraine I felt like you know I was there with him and you know being there every step of the way on social media and you were covering it I saw on your social media and so it's just so crazy that we're able to be a part of these dancers lives like that so what was that experience like for you who got to interview them you know throughout their whole career
1: it's been so fascinating watching some people especially because I covered season let me think I think it was season 13 um, of so you think you can Dance, which was the kids season some of these babies were 10 years old now they're 16 17 18 um and still working. And it's incredible to me because that was, even though ratings wise, that didn't, you know, set the world on fire, but they picked the right kids who still are in the dance world. I recently interviewed the winner, Keita Burns, who was 14 at the time. He's now almost 19. Wow. He's so great. He has a new show or uh, a new movie on uh, called Howard High. You can see it for free on the TV platform just seeing him still recognizes me still is like, we have a, you know, a really good relationship and a good rapport. I'm going to New York city to see JT church. Um, I'm going to sit with his mom in the audience. Cause he is on Broadway right now with Hugh Jackman and the music man. So having that honor, I, I Eliana Walmsley another one who came from dance moms and then went to dancing with stars juniors. I flew to radio city music hall. Um, well, to New York to, uh, to go yeah. see her in the Radio City show right before the pandemic, that uh, 2019 Christmas, and just was able to see her dance as Clara. And just those moments, those things that you don't get to see on camera, those are the connections I have with, with so many of the dancers and watching them evolve. And I cry with them and I root them on and um, it, it's so it's so great to see so, so many of them soar and succeed in their career.
0: Oh, definitely. And I don't know any of them personally, but just seeing on social media, it's changed so much throughout the years. Like we've seen, you know, these dancers have children and get married and things happen in their lives. I'm like, I can't believe, like I've been following them practically like my whole life. Like it's it's just crazy how people grow up. And even talking about that season 13, like I see Tate out there singing and doing all these things. I'm like, wow, she's like a huge star. And I remember watching her on, you know, So, so You Think Can Dance Jr. So it's just crazy.
1: Unbelievable the the pivot that she's done. She's always been a talented dancer, but nobody really knew about her singing career until she just started posting it on Instagram, and it just evolved from there. And it's unbelievable to watch her. And again, someone who's extraordinarily talented, and then all of a sudden is on the MTV Music Awards. Okay,
0: <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yes, talk talk about a great journey, and so. Speaking more on dance as well, you also work with the American Dance Movement. So can you talk about what that is for listeners and what you do with them?
1: Sure. American Dance Movement, a lot of people will recognize that its original name, which was Dizzy Feet Foundation. So it was started by Nigel Lithgow and Adam Shankman, and it is to provide dance classes, dance instruction, dance educators to underserved communities. And it is also the charitable arm that has started National Dance Day, uh, which used to be in the heat of the summer. It's now moved to September. Um, But I usually, I work on the PR and marketing committees helping get the word out. It's now American Dance Movement. We've been a little bit quiet over the past couple of years with the pandemic, but over the next year or so, I think you'll see more and more. And what's nice about it is we're able to pull in a lot of the dancers and choreographers from So You Think You Can Dance, World of Dance, and Dancing with the Stars to contribute and participate. And it's, it's just amazing being able to see that dance is for everybody. There should not be any economic barriers for anyone. And uh, when you see a, a room full of kids just all enjoying dance, even if they're not going to become professional dancers, it's just about the joy and the beauty and the arts and what it brings to everyone.
0: I love that and such amazing work that the American Dance Movement is doing. And National Dance Day is my one of my favorite days of the year. I always love seeing, you know, the dance that is put out, you know, that for everyone to learn and you know, seeing those videos that they show like on TV and on social media of everyone learning it together, you know, pre-pandemic. But you know, learning it together and performing, I just think is so special. And I think it's, you know, very, you know, telling of the dance industry of how, you know, welcoming for everyone and being able to dance everyone is. So I just think that's such a great, you know, cause what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I always like to say dance is for everybody and everybody. body. Um, we need to let go of any of those like dance stereotypes of what you should look like. If you like to move, dance is for you.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I follow Jordan Matter on um, YouTube and I feel like he does such a great job of that. He's always empowering these young dancers who are, you know, finding their place in the industry. And I think he does such a great job with that as well of, you know, welcoming everyone and, you know, showing that it dances for everybody too.
1: Yeah. Jordan's done a great job with his YouTube page and his social media presence. And, you know, it's incredible that he's kind of crosses over into the mainstream. It's not just like, oh, he's like this niche dance photographer. No, everybody knows who he is at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I saw his video with Charlie and that was great to use, you know, these TikTok stars that are into dance and use their platforms to share, you know, about dance and, you know, about how ways we can make dance better. So I think that's T- totally uh, cool! What's going on out there? How and especially with TikTok too. I mean, with all these TikTok dances, like everyone was moving through the pandemic. That's what connected us. You know, I just think that's so special.
1: Yeah, TikTok has been such a huge component in the dance world. I just did, and it's coming out. I just announced it on my uh, Instagram page. But I interviewed Maricana. A lot of people will remember him. He's the little boy, the robot dancer on America's Got Talent. He was successfully able to transition into a, a huge TikTok star, honestly. And um, he, you know, collaborates with a lot of other dancers and he's 17 years old. He's already graduated from high school, believe it or not. He's taking college courses and deciding what his next step is. But dance has afforded him to pay for his college education if he wants to, um, continue to create, continue to take advantage of all these opportunities. He also wants to act um, but he and his family were really fun to work with. And we did an amazing I can't wait for everyone to see the photos. We did an amazing photo shoot in Hollywood, right where you see all the dancers always filming all the time and we would there's a great crosswalk at Hollywood and Highland we would run into the middle of the street when there is a red light. We, we the photographer would shoot and I was like holding like I was holding up with like this big like light <laughs> and we would shoot for like we had about 40 seconds and then we would run back to the sidewalk and I have some good footage of that I can't wait to share it with everyone because it was such a fun day in Hollywood
0: I can't believe he's 17 oh my god everyone's growing up so fast before our eyes that we watch on these shows and online it's so crazy Everyone's taller than me like when it started
1: out I was like uh, taller than everyone they're all taller than me now.
0: <laughs> yeah and, and something I find fascinating too with dance on TikTok speaking on that subject is how everyone is so great about giving dance credit as well which I think is so important like choreography credit like I got this idea from this person I think that's such a great way to you know show advocacy for that as well of you know not stealing choreography or anyone's moves or anything I think that's so um, you know great of the dance industry on TikTok to do that
1: it's super important. And a lot, I think a lot of people don't realize that some, a lot of these dances come out of the black community and black choreographers. And I think one really positive thing that came out of the black lives matter movement was saying, Hey, make sure that you're uh, crediting these black creators because they, you know, Charlie D'Amelio does it and she's not crediting the person who originated it. Guess what? Charlie gets, you know, Credit for it. So I think that that was kind of a conversation that happens, and we are seeing the community being uplifted so much more and finding out the real root of some of these dances.
0: Definitely. Yeah. That, that is super important too. have it go back to the source because, you know, people put so much work into these videos. I mean, you see, I see so many people on TikTok like they show the behind the scenes of making these videos and choreographing and chore- choreographing and, you know, cutting music and doing all these things. So it's so important to be supporting the original content creators of, you know, these dances and videos.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's such a great point that you make because a lot of these dancers, some of them are able to afford like hiring a, a shooter and an editor—that's one thing. But some of them can't, and so they are doing all the editing themselves. So they're coming up with the concept first of all, then they're choreographing it, then they're shooting it, then they're editing it, and you know, and then you have to, and then you have to upload it. And are you going to upload it to TikTok? Is it going to be a reel? Is it going to be both? Is it is it going to go to you Twitter? I don't know. It's just <laughs> they have to really strategize. And if it's for a brand, a lot of people don't realize this. Behind the scenes, there's oftentimes a lot of rough drafts that go back and forth. You probably know on the PR side, but like, hey, we need you to make sure that the label is showing on this particular product. We can't see it in this shot. Can you take that other shot and put it up front? That type of thing. It's a lot of work. And then, of course, the text all needs to align with what's happening in the video. It's not I mean, it's not easy. And I think that that's why people are like, people get paid that much money. I'm like, you're not seeing
0: (laughs) how, how strenuous some of this is. Definitely. Yeah. And going back to what you were talking about with Merrick too, of, you know, how he's, you know, being able to support himself and go to college, like that could be not giving the dance credit or, you know, going back to the creator, that could be the difference of who gets famous and who gets the credit and the money and the resources from, you know, the fame of the video that they made.
1: Absolutely. That creator fund and that money is so important. Every view is important. And the person who created the dance deserves that credit because every little dollar counts. And it it could make a huge impact in taking someone who maybe has a smaller following and catapult them into the stratosphere, which they absolutely deserve.
0: Definitely. So I wanted to ask you um, your advice for college students and recent graduates who want to get into a similar career that you have.
1: I think so many of them are already doing a great job at staff. I used to say, make sure you've established your social media presence. Um, But I think so many (laughs) are doing a great job and they're doing their own little entertainment segments on TikTok. I I watch and follow and I love that. Uh, Or they're doing something similar on Instagram. I will say, don't ignore Twitter and Facebook. And listen, I get it. Like your grandmother's on Facebook. (laughs) You don't want to be on Facebook. That doesn't mean you have to be there every single day But I would say when it comes to if you're someone who is going to be producing articles and video, they do very well on Facebook and could go viral and you'll get a lot of hits and clicks, which is good for if you're working for a media outlet. Twitter also very good for for sharing information. So, you know, make sure you have like all of those kind of in your arsenal. Um, And your writing skills are going to be so important. I know that schools are, are doing a great job at, you know, teaching you the editing and how to shoot and, but make sure your writing is also up to par. You may have to write a script, but you may also, because text is still king when it comes to search engine optimization. I'm throwing out all these crazy terms, but on Google, you still need the text with the video. So being able to say, hey, I can write that, you know, 500 word article that you need. And and that's a lot of times that has gotten me on camera. Like I'll get hired for a writing job and I'll say, Oh, do you need video for this? Or vice versa? I get hired for the video. I'll go, Oh, do you need an article? Because you can charge more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the more things you're doing and adding to that layer, the, the more money you can make. Um, but, you know, I, I get it. You know, we all don't, we text in shorthand, but make sure that that grammar, that spelling, those writing skills um, are, you know, sharp for that exact reason.
0: Thank you for sharing that advice. I think that's such valuable advice you shared for listeners. And that's so true about the SEO. I just had two guests on who are SEO experts, and they were talking all about they work for two journalism um companies, and they're talking about how important it is to have those keywords and you know your you know content in text out there on the internet because that is the wave of the future. I mean, TikTok added the SEO feature now where you have to like enter the words and you can search through your likes and your, you know, all these different videos based on this text that is in the caption, like we were talking about before. So definitely lots of great tips you just shared.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad to see that I'm not crazy on the SEO. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> one thing I'll tell people too, when you're reading something, you're like, that's such a clickbait headline. Ah, it's frustrating. It's SEO. It's like those buzzwords that are, are getting you to click or get you curious you know, it's, it's the good and the bad of the internet, because uh, oftentimes you feel like the headline's a little misleading. It often is, um, <laughs> but that is what gets draws the eyeballs. And you have to remember that getting the eyeballs to the site to watch the video, read the article, that's where advertising dollars happen, and that's where we make money, especially if it's not behind a subscription paywall. If it's being offered for free, understand every single click really matters.
0: Definitely. And even on, I can say from my side in PR, that's all we look at all day. And we're looking for, you know, client opportunities is what's the monthly visitor number. And, you know, how many people have clicked on this? How many people have shared on social media? It's such an important factor in all facets of, you know, communications and, you know, business as well. So definitely that's another great tip you shared. Yeah. Understand
1: your metrics, understand your demographics. Super important.
0: Definitely. So to wrap up the episode, this is something that I finish every episode with because I am so inspired by Sophia Amoruso, who is the founder of Girl Boss, and she started that term and she built an empire on that. So I'd love to ask you, Kristen, who is your favorite girl boss? And it can be more than one. We've had that on the show before.
1: <laughs> I know. So I was like, all oh, this question is a, is a hard one, but you know, I. I and really someone that, because I'm kind of like sandwiched between these generations, like the young generation and the <laughs> older generation and my generation. And it's really interesting to see. And I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there, kind of always make sure that you're looking at the generation ahead of you and the generation behind you because you have something to learn from the older generation, which is why I've always adored Meredith Vieira. She's someone who has really crossed over. She, she's done the hard news. She did the 60 minutes, uh, but she did, you know, the view. She had her own talk show. She did the Today Show. She is someone that kind of has, has bounced very seamlessly between all of that. And I've had the opportunity to interview her and it's just... You know, it's, it's really amazing being able to um, finally talk to someone where you're like, I've, you know, really idolized it. And and you've been a great mentor to me, even though you don't know me, because you (laughs) can follow some of those steps and realize like what they've done and what has worked for them and, and adapt it to your own life. But you should also be looking behind you, not only pulling people up with you, but also realizing that they are you know, especially Gen Z right now, they are at, you know, the cusp of all the technology and all of the trends, and you have something to learn from them as well. And that's why I love all of these creators on TikTok who are um, really innovating and doing some things. And I go, oh, I like that. I'm going to steal I'll take a little bit of that and you add it to my own. And I I really think that that is so crucial to um, learning. Because people could just go, oh, they're old. Oh, they're young. No, (laughs) come together because we're a more powerful team.
0: Yeah, that's such a great way of putting it. Um, I love how you said, like you know pulling people up with you, but also looking ahead and I think this has come up, and every single time that I've asked this question, we always talk about pivoting because in Sophia's book, something that always stuck with me when I read it was that she was saying that you know girl bosses know how to pivot and roll with the punches, and so definitely that is part of that is having that learning experience and being able to manage up and manage down to you know the people you're working with and being able to pull from all these experiences and me myself too. I go on TikTok and I see something. I'm like, I have to use that. Like I was seeing this girl the other day who was saying like, when you start a video, when you're talking, like you should say like, maybe you didn't know this to draw people in and like those type of things. So I'm always like, just like you always like, I have to use that in my podcast, TikToks or things on, on my podcast. So definitely. So thank you so much for sharing Um, Meredith. She's definitely a girl boss.
1: Yeah, I I love her, honestly, and uh, just, I mean, what a career. And also doing it on her terms, like walking away from The View, walking away from The Today Show. I mean, a lot of times we think, well, why would she do that? But she's doing, we also have to remember that we're human beings and we have families and we have personal lives and you should have a balance. I know we talk about work-life balance, but honestly, you should make sure that you are taking time to take care of yourself and experience life instead of, you know, being behind a computer all the time or on social media. And I I admire her for also prioritizing her family and her personal time because, and hopefully the pandemic awoken all of us to that, but I think she's done it way ahead of the curve.
0: Oh, definitely. And it's so great for, you know, younger women to see that on TV and be like, oh, wow, like I can do that in my own life and have that example. And that's something I talk about with this podcast as well as a lot is that that's why I wanted to do this to have women like you on the show and share your experiences because it is so important for these younger women to have role models to see themselves in these different roles and be able to you know have something to shoot for or you know have goals towards so thank you so much for sharing her and for being on the show and sharing your experiences I had such a great time chatting with you so thank you so much
1: thank you so much for having me this is a blast I appreciate it
0: thanks for listening did you enjoy this episode Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.